What's going on? Welcome into the Sharp Angle Podcast. Thanks for joining us on a Thursday, the 31st, last day of 2020. Man, it's been a weird year, obviously. I think everyone's ready to get to 2021, even though I got some bad news for some of you guys out there. I feel like some people think right when midnight hits tonight, eh, we're done. We're done with 2020. Everything's going to be good again. Ah, I'm not so sure that's the case, but either way, hope you have a nice night planned ahead, whatever you end up doing. Hope you stay safe and uh, happy new years to everybody out there. Happy uh, holiday season. All right, on today's show, it is NBA Thursday, and uh, we're going to go over an article that I came across in the New York Post. It's another reminder, be careful of information out there. You know, now that sports betting is catching like fire in the United States, there's a lot of content, a lot of things to uh, read and listen to, and a lot of people to get picks from, and there's a lot of bad information, a lot of hacks out there who don't know what the fuck they're talking about, and you're going to lose your money very, very quickly if you fall into those kind of... Uh, outlets. I mean, whenever I look for any kind of news or tidbits about a game and I ever find an article on ESPN or uh, the Action Network, you know, CBS Sportsline, you know, who claim to have all this sports betting knowledge, sometimes you end up going away, walking away from those articles, you know, knowing less. It hurts your handicapping. And so be careful who you get your info from. And this is another example today a, a very popular article that was shared over and over and over that uh, was on the New York Post. I'm not even going to read. Uh, I'm not even going to share this on Twitter or anything like that because I don't want this on my timeline. <laughs> you know, like I don't want this being associated with this show. But the art, the article uh, title is NBA betting guide: Seven Tips to Cash in This Basketball Season. Again, the New York Post uh, reran this article. It's an article by. Let's see who wrote it. Josh Applebaum uh, Vsin. <laughs> Applebaum, Applebaum, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. Uh, for all my Seinfeld fans out there. Anyway, uh, the, the interesting thing for me is if you look at Vsin, the company in general, they're pretty good with sports betting. Like they have guys on there who seem to know what they're talking about. Uh, I, some guys, yes, some who don't. But when I started to read this article, it is just littered with misinformation, incorrect information, just bad info that you don't want. And what I fear happens, and again, this is why I think the show's growing so quickly. Thank you guys for listening to The Sharp Angle and telling your friends and growing the show. Uh, if you haven't already, give us a, a follow on uh, Twitter, at SharpAnglePod. You know, this thing's taken off and we really, we, uh, really appreciate it, but I think part of the reason why this podcast has you know grown so well in 2020 is because we do a good job giving advice out and, and letting you guys know how to approach certain things. And yeah, we occasionally give picks too. We get picks on the weekends. Uh, Friday, we do deep dives. But And we've been fucking killing it on the weekends lately, and, and, and that's good. But look, we, we make it clear on this show that the best professionals, the best in the world who do this are going 56% over the course of a year. So by nature of how sports betting works, 44 games out of 100 that I give out are going to be losers, right? So, you know, 
that's why I don't really give too much credit to all these guys who are selling picks on Twitter or touting picks or things like that. Like anyone can have a decent run every now and then. It's all about long term. How are you doing over the course of several seasons? I even if you put the magnifying glass on it, anybody can win during one basketball season, one football season, one hockey season. Can you repeat that action year after year after year? That's what it comes down to. And so you know, I feel like what happens is a lot of people who are getting into sports betting who have never done this before, they don't know good information from bad information. They just go online, they're looking around, and I just have a feeling that there's a lot of people losing money because they're listening listening to folks who don't know what the hell they're talking about. I mean, it is amazing how how many people are giving information out there about sports betting that's just incorrect. And why do I think this happens? I think it's simple why this happens. It's because people love sports betting. You know, a lot of people out there love sports, love betting on sports. It's fun. They maybe make a couple bucks on a weekend, and all of a sudden they think that they can now tell everybody else what to do. That's what I think happens. I don't think these guys necessarily on Twitter who are selling picks, things like this, I don't think they're crooks. I don't think they're doing this on purpose. I think that they think that they're good. Right, because they've had a good weekend or a good month or something like that. So now they, and it's fun. It's kind of fun to share your picks on Twitter and share your picks with everybody. But the 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 problem with this is that there's a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, who are getting into this industry, who are losing money at an unbelievable pace. I mean, I put an article up on our Twitter feed or on our. I think I just re- retweeted it. It's on our, uh, our on our Twitter right now. But uh, you know, Vegas, Atlantic City, Colorado, all of these states posted the best month in the history of sports betting last month, right? Now, obviously, for states like Colorado, where it's brand new, that's not a huge surprise. But Nevada, New Jersey, there's been a lot of betting in these places for a long time. It's not a coincidence that this past month was their most profitable ever. I mean, these bookies are getting rich because people are entering the market who don't know what they're doing, and they're getting advice from people who also don't know what they're doing, but appear to know what they're doing. And that's kind of my issue with this article right here. Like, look, I don't know one thing about this guy, Josh Applebaum, not one thing. And I'm not trying to come on here and shit on this guy, right? I don't know anything about him, but we can assume, we can start to make some inferences about this about what he knows based on this article. And there's a lot of bad information in this article. So let's get to it. Uh, they have certain tips, right? The 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 article again. The the title is uh, NBA betting guide: seven tips to cash in this basketball season. So some of the tips they go through, we'll talk about, and I want to either endorse or debunk. And this is only going to help you guys as sports betters, especially if you like to bet the NBA. So the first tip on here: home court advantage is overvalued. Now they go on to explain themselves. Oddsmakers typically will award three points for home court advantage. Public bettors love betting home teams, which leads to sportsbooks shading lines further towards home teams, forcing casual bettors to take overpriced numbers. This creates added value to buy low on road teams. This edge may be heightened even more this season as many teams will play with limited or no fans in the stands. Okay, so the reason why this first tip is completely wrong and just bad info is this assumes. This first tip assumes that the market doesn't take into account, A, the fact that there's no fans in the stands, and B, the fact that this supposedly has been a trend in the past, right? Because like this says, 
This edge may be heightened even more this season as many teams will be playing with limited or no fans in the stands. So what they're insinuating in this article is that this has always been the case. Road teams are always more favorable because home teams simply get more public money and the lines are shaded towards home teams because of the three points in the public, right? That's what this article is saying. Well, actually, if you go back in a database that you can either... Uh, there's certain databases online you can pay for. You can create your own database. Um, you know, I, I do certain things. I pull info from online. You know, I, I as many of you guys know out there, um, I'm currently wrapping up my uh, data science degree from the University of Denver. And so I pull all my own info. You know, I write my own codes, pull my own numbers from online, and I get my info that way. And it's pretty unique what you can do. Looking back 20, 25, 30 years at these numbers. And what I found is that this is actually not true at all. Road teams are 50.2% against the spread the last 20 years, okay? Home teams are 49.8% against, uh, against the spread. So really, with that margin of 0.4, right? 0.2 on one side, 0.2 on the other side, This that's not true at all. So what this article is saying is that there's actually an inherent edge betting on road teams because home teams get so so much money and are so overvalued. That's not true. Go back and look the last 20 years. That's simply not the case. And actually what I did was I magnified that to the last seven years and the last 20 years. So I could see, okay, maybe the last 20 years it's not true. What if we look more recent though? Because basketball has changed. What if we look at the last seven years, last 10 years? And frankly, there's nothing that indicates that road teams have ever had more inherent value just because home teams are, quote, overpriced. So what this means is actually home teams are overpriced. <laughs> the pricing is very accurate. A home team may in a regular season get three points for home, but that's because the home court is usually worth three points. What this article is saying is that everything is by nature and by definition overvalued simply because you're betting against the favorite. Or you're betting on the favorite. That is not the case. Over the last seven years, last 10 years, last 20 years, if you blindly bet on the home or road team, you're still losing money to the VIG. And it doesn't matter whether it's 50.2% because you have to go 52.4% just to break even. So whether you blindly bet the home or road teams last seven years, 10 years, 20 years, you're losing a lot of money no matter what. So no, there is not an inherent advantage on betting on the road teams. And when they say this edge may be heightened more this season because many teams will be playing with limited or no fans, guys, hey, you fucking moron. And I promise that's the last time I'm going to say this because it dri- it just drives me crazy when I hear this sort of stuff because it's just wrong. The market takes this into account. The Do you think the guys in Vegas don't know they're not playing with any fans this year? Like, Seriously, you don't think that's going to be priced into the current number? So, but don't you see? And and guys, I I don't mean to get so worked up. It's the last day of 2020. We need to be relaxing, drinking, having a good time today. But look, the reason why this pisses me off so much is because there are probably tens of thousands of people who don't understand sports betting, who are going to read this article, the New York Post, it's kind of a big deal, who are going to read this article and they're going to start betting based on this information. And that's the quickest way to lose money. And it's 
it's not so much to be honest that I I hate seeing everyone else lose money because it's not my money. It's I that I hate seeing sports books being able to profit because bookies are bad. Bookies are cockroaches. They try and get away with whatever they can. And these guys like what's his name, Josh Applebaum of Veasan, aren't helping the public win money at all. And so when you hear things like, well, the away team is naturally going to be. Uh, have more value because the home team naturally gets more money. Wrong. When you hear that, well, the market's going to be off this year because they're not playing with fans in the stands. They, they're going to not correct enough. Wrong. The market is smart. The market knows these things. So, so far in their tips to win this year, 0 for 1. Uh, tip number two, road underdogs. Okay, they go, uh, this article says, the public also likes to bet on favorites. On the surface, this makes sense. If you're going to bet a team to win, you may as well back the better team, which is also expected to win. Uh, if you're going to bet a team to cover the spread, uh, you may as well bet, back the better team, which is also expected to win. However, this bias also creates shaded lines towards the favorites, creating added value back to the underdogs. Okay, So we get, again, what this is saying is, because the public likes to bet favorites, that even adds more on top of the favorites in terms of overvalue, right? So we're already getting extra value on the first point for the home court, not enough fans. And now, if you're betting against a favorite, that's even better because the public only bets favorites. And the public only bets on teams who are the, bet, quote, better team. Okay, there's two, there's two parts here. First of all, it's true that the public bets on more popular teams, on better teams, on the favorites, right? But just because the public is betting on the favorites, that doesn't necessarily mean they're moving the lines enough to make the other side appetizing. We talked about this, when was it? This week, last week? Um, I forget exactly when it was. One of the recent concept shows, I believe. But we talked on the on how lines are made, right? And it's a misconception, this whole idea that we always hear on ESPN and Fox, this whole thing that if you fade the public, fade the public, fade the public, that actually, and we're not going to go too deep into this today because we did on the other show and we can do it again another time, but the idea with public money is actually sort of uh, misguided because really lines are sharpened out and lines are adjusted when only the pros can bet. You know, we'll give a quick overview right now, but there's two kinds of sports books. There's market-making books and there's retail books. Market-making books are probably 3 to 5% of all sports books, right? Almost every book that you bet at is a retail book, right? It's very hard to find market-making books, but they, they're, they're out there to find. So market-making books open lines up, okay? Let's say, just hypothetically speaking, the Lakers are... Uh, three-point favorites, okay? Market-making books will open up the Lakers minus three. And then all of these pros will come in within one or two hours of lines being posted and chip away at that line. Now, let's say the line moves from minus three to minus five in the first... It usually takes about, I don't know, one to three hours for this to happen. It, it happens quickly where pros get the lines they want. So let's say the lines open up minus three for the Lakers, and it moves to Lakers minus five based on early action. Well, every other book in the world then releases that line, right? Everywhere else, Bovada, Five Dimes, BetMGM, FanDuel, DraftKings, they all release the minus five. 
they wait for the th- for the minus three to sharpen up and see where the pro action is, and then they release the minus five. So if you're here on game day, well, the public is all over the Lakers minus five, or the public is all over the underdog plus five. That doesn't really matter what the public's on because the line's already moved. The value's already gone from what you could have gotten. So this whole idea of fade the public, fade the public, fade the public, that's actually inherently wrong. You know, a lot of these against the spread margins over t- or, or, or numbers over time are going to be right around 50%. About 50% of home teams are going to win. About 50% of favorites are going to win. About 50% of teams on in certain situations are going to win on back-to-backs, whatever, right? It usually always, over the course of time, equals out to 50%. And do you know what the public goes over the course of time? If my dog or my sister were to pick games over the course of the next 10, 20 years, they would go 50%. So the idea that we're finding value on these little tidbits, it seems to someone, right, to the untrained eye, this article seems like, oh man, I'm getting so much good info here. But really, when you know what you're talking about and you read this stuff, that's why I get so angry. That's why I get so upset. It's like, this guy really doesn't seem to know too much about what he's talking about. He knows just enough. And that's what I think the problem is today, right? There's a lot of writers or podcast hosts or radio hosts or whatever who know just enough about sports betting to make it seem like what they're telling you is legit when really they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And that's exactly what's going on in this article. So the first two, uh, we are 0 for 2 so far. 0 for 2 on uh, the tips for betting the NBA. All right, let's look at a couple more uh, tips they give. Um, let's see here. I mean, and look, this whole this whole article, it's really not very good. There's a lot of stuff in here that that is just flat out wrong. And again, that's why we're going through this. And hopefully when I'm bashing this and telling you guys how it's incorrect in so many ways, we can learn, right? This is the learning process as well, uh, both good and bad. So uh, the next thing, look for, quote, severe line moves. This article says, in the NBA, it's common to see a line move a half point or a full point one way or the other. But when you see a severe move, 1.5 points or more, it likely was caused by some big smart money from professional bettors. Pros aren't perfect, but they have the respect of the books and win more often than they lose. You always want to be on the side of the respected action, ideally at the number the pros got. (sighs) (laughs) you think like this is exactly what we talk about you have to and again i talked about this on the show where we talked about market making books and retail books if you're not buying early right if you're not buying within the first hour to three hours of lines being opened up you're not going to get the value by definition the value is gone and if you're going the other way and fading the pros it's not a good way to, to 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 win money over the long run and so what this is saying is pretty much they put in this article, hey, hey guys, if there's going to be a line move that moves more than one and a half points, be sure you get it, but before it moves. <laughs> like, what the hell are they doing? This makes my head hurt. This is such shitty information. I don't even understand what this is saying. Like, this is pretty much saying, hey guys, if you want to win money, you got to be in the same, sw- swimming around in the same pool the, sh- the, the, the sharks are in. Make sure you're betting betting the numbers before they move and oh by the way make sure you can identify those numbers while they're still fresh what i'm sure the guy who wrote this article doesn't even do this it's like yeah that sounds ideal right that sounds great but can we give information 
to average sports bettors that they can actually use and make money on. When you tell people, hey guys, my next tip of the year if you want to make money is to be on the side of the Sharps and to bet the exact same numbers the Sharps got. You see what I'm talking about here? It's bad information. It's, it's, it's coming from someone who seems like they know what they're talking about, and clearly they don't. The next tip here, so we're 0 for 3. Next tip here, capitalize on inflated lines. One of the best ways to go contrarian is to look for inflated lines, which is the public, excuse me, in which the public is extremely lopsided on one team, forcing the books to move that number even further towards that popular team. By being savvy and betting on the unpopular underdog, you just got an extra point or more of value simply because the public artificially inflated the number. And if you go back and again, in in the database and look over the last seven years, 10 years, 20 years, this simply isn't the case. If this were the case, then underdogs right? Or heavy underdogs. And you can look at these numbers all different kinds of ways. You can separate teams and say, what are underdogs the last 10 years? What are underdogs of three points or more the last 10 years? What are underdogs of seven points or more the last 10 years, right? You can split this up and try and and, and see what the number is against the spread. And if this was true, that, that the books already heavily shade towards the favorite and public money extremely shades it towards the favorite and we're getting inherent value on the underdog. If that were true, then it would show against the spread, right? But again, if you bet blindly on underdogs the last seven years, you're actually below 50%. It's about 49.75%. So this is just wrong. This is actually not correct information. You know, the idea that capitalizing on, quote, inflated lines, just because a line is big, this is, what I think, what a lot of people don't understand. Just because you get a, a basketball team minus 11, just because it's a big number doesn't necessarily make it an inflated line. If it's minus 11 and we think the line should be minus 13, that's a value bet. If the line is minus 25 and we think the line should be minus 28, that's a value bet. It's it's not inflated just because it's a lot of points to cover. And I think that's a big part this article misses. So again, what are we, 0 for 4, for 5? I'm losing track now. Their next tip, go contrarian. Because the NBA market is flooded with recreational money from average Joe bettors, going contrarian or betting against the public is a smart move. And I feel like we may start to be repeats or repeating some topics here, but I'm going to give them a half point here. I'm going to give Applebaum a half point for this one because he's right. You have to be a contrarian if you're going to win betting sports, right? If you're going to be a successful sports better, you have to be contrarian, but not only that, you have to be correct. So that's what's so hard about being a sports better. You've got to go against what most people are saying and thinking, but you also have to be right, okay? So that's true. In sports betting, we have to think contrarian. But the reason this article gives for wanting to be contrarian is, again, wrong. This article gives way too much influence to public money. I promise you, folks, public money's not doing that much to NBA lines. These lines, let's say an NBA line moves from three to seven and a half, okay? That's a huge move, but just follow me. If it moves from three to seven and a half, likely what would have happened is the professionals move it from three to seven, and the public may move it from seven to seven and a half. The public doesn't have near the influence on the market that a lot of people would 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 suggest. 
And this article focuses heavy on public money, which is, you know, again, we want to be contrarian. That's a good thing. That's how you make money. But it's not because we're trying to bet against the public. It's because we're trying to bet against actually other professionals and bet against the market. So we're trying to be contrarian based on what the market thinks, not what the public thinks. When I'm contrarian, I'm saying, Look at who I have in my power rankings and look where they have this team in power rankings all over the all over the world. Like look where the market says this team should be compared to where I say they should be. That's a contrarian bet. It's not what are they saying on what is Stephen A. Smith saying and wanting to fade that. So I think this article is mixing up how what contrarian means. Because when you go contrarian, yes, that's true. You want to be contrarian, but it's not because you're going against the public. It's because you're going against the market. And look, I mean, this this article goes on a few more things. I'm not going to keep ripping it. You guys get the point here. Uh, again, the article, NBA betting guide, seven tips to cash in this basketball season. Josh Applebaum, a part of VSIN, and it's on the New York Post. Read it if you want. Keep in mind, approach it with caution, a lot of bad information, but this is an opportunity for us and my audience to understand that just because something's dressed up with the fancy New York Post title and someone who works for VSIN doesn't mean you're getting good info. Find an outlet you can trust. Find an article, uh, someone who writes articles, a radio show, a podcast, find a blog, find somebody you can trust. And what that means is that does not mean that they've gone eight and two their last 10. Okay. Again, my dog can go eight and two any 10 games. You know, if you're going to go 55% over the course of your career, you're going to have a lot of eight and two runs and you're going to have a lot of two and eight runs. So it's less important how guys are picking games over the short run and more about how they land on those games. What's their process to handicap and end up getting on those games? That's why on this podcast, we do a deep dive Friday. So I go deep, usually into one, maybe two games, let you guys know how we handicap. And then on Saturday and Sunday, we do quick picks. Nothing but our quickest picks, our best picks of the day, and let you guys get get uh, about your weekend. And the reason we do that is, if I just had a podcast that only gave out weekend picks, who knows how the hell I'm getting my picks? Maybe I'm just flipping coins over here, and I happen to get lucky a couple times. What my audience understands so far, and I tell because my weekend quick picks and my Friday shows are by far the, the, the heaviest listened shows, is that they trust my picks on the weekends because they know the work we put into them. I mean, I bet I spend 45 minutes to two hours on every single game I handicap, you know? So be cautious. Be aware of where you're getting your picks from, where you're getting your, your info from. Find someone or some outlet who you trust and stick with them because the bigger sports betting gets, the more of this terrible information will be out there poisoning the minds of everyone who's new to this industry. All right, let's move on. Before we wrap things up on today's show, I will give my updated top 10 NBA power rankings. Uh, For those who follow the NFL portion of the podcast, every Monday we update our NFL power rankings. And the NFL power rankings work a little bit differently than some of my other sports. NFL gives me a final number that's, that's very congruent to the points. You know, if I have a team that's rated a five and another team that's rated a zero... The, the team who's rated the five will be a five-point favorite on a neutral field, okay? So it's very easy to do the math for the NFL. My NBA and, frankly, my NHL power rankings, they're, they're way more math-based. You know, it spits me out some 
kind of abstract number and it organizes teams based on what I deem to be important. So I'm not going to have like a rating number. I'm just going to have the teams and the order they come out in. So uh, let's go over 10 through one right now. Number 10, the Dallas Mavericks. And I also want to want you guys to keep in mind, uh, these rankings are current, like as of this hour. So obviously the injury to Kristaps Porzingis matters for Dallas, right? Things that are going on right now that are affecting the team right now matter in these power rankings. So uh, the Dallas Mavericks, their biggest deal this year, like I said, injuries. Uh, Kristaps Porzingis has been missing for the first couple games. Um, once he gets back and once they get a little bit healthier, this Dallas team can be very, very uh, strong, especially offensively. And I think that also when you incorporate these new players who joined the team, taking on key roles in the offense, Dallas is one of those teams where it's going to take a little bit of time for them to gel. I mean, look who they lost last year. Seth Curry, Justin Jackson, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, they had a big part in that offense. And the offense that, that Rick, Carlisle, uh, Rick Carlisle runs, it's very... Uh, methodical. You know, you have to be in it for a while to understand it. So Dallas, right now, probably lower than they'll end up later in the year, but Dallas currently number 10. Number nine, the Utah Jazz. Uh, Utah is just a very solid overall team. They're ninth in scoring, seventh in scoring defense. And so far, if you look at their stats through through, uh, the first couple weeks of the year, they're actually pretty inconsistent. You know, they're struggling from three-pointer. They're not finishing. They're not shooting the the ball well at all from from, uh, the stripe. But look, this team knows each other. They're, they're, they're going to be a tough out in the West once they start playing the kind of basketball they can. And uh, I think Utah actually may be one of the more underrated teams right now where I have them and where the market has them, but the Utah Jazz, number nine. Number eight, the Miami Heat. Uh, now, you guys know, I think on my first basketball show of the season, I had Miami as one of my more overrated teams. And the reason was... Because they showed up in the finals last year. Everyone had that in their minds. And frankly, I think that they were probably a point to a point and a half overvaluing Miami for the first couple games. Well, that has adjusted. And I think Miami is one of the scarier teams in the East. You know, they're young, one of the better young cores. Jimmy Butler makes everyone around him better. And I love the coaching staff in Miami as well. So Miami, uh, currently number eight. And they have risen a little bit in the last few uh, last few weeks. But I like Miami and what they're doing. Number eight. Number seven. And this may be the biggest shock so far this year. The Phoenix Suns. Okay, they trade for Chris Paul. They've got a great young core. Uh, DeAndre Ayton. They can shoot from outside. So right, really with Phoenix, you have to ask yourself... Where what are they missing? And they were missing for a long time that veteran leadership and that go-to guy in in the clutch. Now, while Chris Paul doesn't have the prolific stats he's had before in his career, he again he's making everyone around him better, and that's so important. And you look at offensive efficiency. Okay, Phoenix is scoring, but they're scoring at a healthy, efficient rate. They're currently number six in offensive efficiency. Phoenix is the one team no one's talking about right now nationally who could make the most noise in the West, at least from coming from the bottom and being able to compete in the playoffs. So Phoenix, it's a great combination. They're getting mature at the right time. They're developing at the right time. And they bring in Chris Paul, who could have been the X factor for this team. Phoenix Suns, number seven. Number six, the Denver Nuggets. And man, the Nuggets have fallen a little bit on my rankings. I had Denver in my top five easily. I think they were third to start the year because I believe in what the Nuggets are doing. I think that the Nuggets, for a long time, you talk about 
absences in teams, right? For the Phoenix Suns, it was what they're missing, right? They've filled that with Chris Paul. For the Nuggets, what the Nuggets have been missing now for years is those go-to guys at the end of the game. You know, the Nuggets' knock has always been they're good, they're deep, but they don't have the superstars. And luckily for Denver, they may have drafted a couple players who are blossoming into superstars. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are currently as close to a young superstar duo that hasn't officially gotten that title in the NBA that I think we have today. They're very good, great supporting cast. I think that Denver, you look, they went to the Western Conference Finals last year, couldn't compete with the Lakers, but I could see a repeat this year in the Western Finals. But Denver has to pick it up. The way they started this year is not promising at all. And you wonder, these little pieces who they missed, who they lost in the offseason, like a Jeremy Grant, who ends up in, I think it's uh, Detroit maybe, maybe Atlanta, either way, they may be missing those smaller pieces than they anticipated. So the Denver Nuggets are still a team not to be messed with in the West, one of the better teams for sure, but they've fallen a little bit in my rankings. Currently, Denver Nuggets, number six. Number five, the Boston Celtics. Now, we've been talking about young combos. I think Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are the single best young combo in the NBA. Brad Stevens, top five coach. And currently, if you look at what they're doing on the court, they're giving up about 114 points a game. Small sample size, that will improve. As long as Boston's defense doesn't suffer this year, this will be one of the better teams in the East. I trust what they're doing. And uh, look out for, again, kind of like the Nuggets we just mentioned, those young players growing into their roles. That's exactly what's happening in Boston. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, developing, getting better throughout the year, or through, through this offseason. And uh, Boston, man, they're a very, very good team. Number five overall. And what are they? Numbers still. They're the third best team in the East. Number five overall. Number four, the Brooklyn Nets. And we know the talent Brooklyn has. It's no no question. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. We understand that. And look, I, I think the one thing here that surprises me with where I have Brooklyn in these ratings. And when I say I'm surprised, that's because I am sometimes. You know, I put in my numbers. I hit enter. And I get these spit out to me. You know, I don't just sit here and go, oh, who belongs in five this week? Oh, Boston, they're great. Okay, what about four? How about we put Brooklyn in there? For, no, the computer's telling me all this. So I'm sometimes surprised to see where these teams end up. And I think that Brooklyn right now, number four, it just seems a bit high to me because these teams who have come together, these super teams who have put together these all-stars who have never played together before, it usually takes a month or two for them to gel and become the team that we really that, that they're going to be. But Brooklyn looks to be hitting the ground running. I mean, Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie Irving are playing well together, supporting cast, playing well so far. They did have an unfortunate injury to Spencer Dinwiddie, but still, I mean, this is a team that, th- from what I've seen so far, I have no reason to think... Uh, you know, this is going to be a learning pro, a long learning process. It's going to be a lo- look. I still think there's going to be a learning curve, and this team is not anywhere near as good as they're going to be to end the year. But right now, much better than I thought they'd be. Look, maybe a little high in the power rankings from what I thought, but number four, I'm it, that's okay. You don't you don't fight math sometimes, and that's exactly what I wanted to do here with Brooklyn. But hey, they're a good team. They're playing well right now. Number four, number three, the L.A. Clippers. Uh, and there's there's it, there's two different teams that you see for LA, right? And I'm not talking about the Lakers and Clippers. I'm talking about the good Clippers and the bad Clippers. Because when when the Clippers are motivated in the first couple games of the year, they've come out and done really well. 
You know, they get the Lakers in the, in the opening matchup. Motivated to make a point from last year, and they did. Then they get the Nuggets in another early matchup. Motivated to uh, right the wrongs from last year's playoff loss, they did. I mean, I just think that the Clippers, you know, everybody kind of wanted a downgrade because Doc Rivers is gone. They made, you know... They uh, lost uh, Montrezl Harrell. Like, how good are they really going to be? Did they make any improvements? Or are they going to get worse than last year? And I think they they they'll be better than last year. You know, uh, Ty Lue has done a good job so far taking over. He understands how to handle those personalities. He's done it before with LeBron, and he's doing it right now with with Kawhi. Remember last year how much they placate placated to Kawhi Leonard, and he didn't have to show up when he wanted to, and he's the only player who who could live outside the city limits, and all this stuff. That that's changed this year. You know, the players weren't happy with it, and the changes have been made. So I think they're going to have a happier locker room, a better locker room. They're already getting good results. And uh, the Clippers right now, number three. Number two, the L.A. Lakers. And look, for my top two teams, what really needs to be said? Uh, L.A., you know, they got better this offseason. They've looked good so far. I think this could be a team, actually, where we see some down spots for the Lakers. You know, LeBron's teams don't typically do very well the first month or two of the season. So when you play the Lakers... You want to spot play them in very good, advantageous situations for the Lakers. And, you know, that's why we took them on Christmas. A couple bad games to start. You get LeBron on prime time on Christmas Day. Okay, give me the Lakers then. But be careful because I think it's 47% against the spread. LeBron James teams are the first month of the season. That's not good. They're typically slow starting teams. But overall, you can't ignore how good the Lakers are. I mean, I'm, it seems like I'm sitting here bashing them and they're number two in my power rankings. They're a great team. They got better this offseason. As long as they show up and want to be there, the Lakers are, I think, the best team in the NBA, except for maybe my number one team, who is right now the Milwaukee Bucks. In Milwaukee, again, like the Lakers, what else needs to be said? You know, they're going to have some up games. They're going to have some down games. I actually think this team is much more likely to not take their foot off the gas because they kind of take that mold of Giannis, who still shows up, kind of treats it like, you know, we're going to play, play as hard as we can every day, all that stuff. So I, I still think they're less likely to have some of those letdowns. But they did a couple of days ago. I forget who they played. Disappointing loss on the road. You're going to get that occasionally. But still, one of the deeper teams, one of the better teams. Giannis has gotten even better this season. Chris Middleton is shooting very well from, from behind the arc. I mean, as long as he doesn't fade come the last part of the year in playoff time, you know, Milwaukee clearly should be the favorite, if not one of the favorites in the East. So Milwaukee, number one in my power ratings. We can go through that one more time. Number 10, the Dallas Mavericks. Number nine, the Utah Jazz. Number eight, the Miami Heat. Number seven, the Phoenix Suns. Number six, the Denver Nuggets. Number five, the Boston Celtics. Number four, the Brooklyn Nets. Number three, the LA Clippers. Number two, the LA Lakers. And number one, the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, that does it for today's show. Good luck with whatever you guys have going today. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on The Sharp Angle.